Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening. Japan is often described as a high trust society, but it's hard to explain exactly what that means and why it matters. Well, today we sit down to talk about trust and about medical AI with Yuki Shimahara. CEO of Lpixel. Now, a lot has changed since Yuki was on the show four years ago. And by all metrics, Lpixel is a stronger and more successful startup today. But one unfortunate event really put that level of trust to the test. Well, Yuki will give you the details. But the level of trust that existed between investors and clients and employees. Resulted in saving a startup that no one could reasonably expect to be saved. And we also talk about why medical AI is going to be adopted so much faster in Southeast Asia, why more and more doctors are starting startups in Japan, and why Yuki thinks it's more productive to do deep research at a startup than at a university. But you know, Yuki tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. I'm sitting here with Yuki Shimahara, the CEO of Lpixel. So, welcome back to the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. Lpixel is a cloud based AI image analysis for life sciences and medical research. And, well, you can probably explain it much better、okay. than I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm very honored to be、uh, back here. Lpixel. Is a startup company from a research lab of Tokyo University, which was a pioneer of bioimage informatics. We combine life science and image analysis, including AI. For now, so we do the two main business. So we develop the AI for medical image diagnosis and then developing AI for accelerating the pharma research. And wow, last time we talked, I think you were still. You were still a PhD candidate at that point,、uh, right? Probably. Yeah, because I, I do remember we were, we were running around into different rooms at the University of Tokyo campus、right. at Hongo trying to find a room that didn't like echo. Yeah. <laughs> so much has changed since then. You're a lot bigger and more successful than before. So, how many people do you have working at Lpixel now? Now,、uh, 60 or 70. Tell me about your customers. So, last time. Most of your customers were、uh, research institutions,、mm-hmm. people working on medical research,、mm-hmm. and it seems like you've expanded a lot since then. Right. I think the last time is just developing the AI. But three years ago, we got the、uh, AI、uh, as a medical devices. It is said that it is the first AI got approval as medical devices using deep learning. So, our stage is changed. So, last time, maybe I'm focusing on RD, but we do the sales and marketing now. And just to clarify, so when you say it's a medical device, is that, does that mean it is a diagnostic tool? What does the certification of being a medical、okay. device mean? Our AI is supporting the diagnosis. The medical doctor, even the professional, mistakes sometimes. So, misdiagnosis is a very big problem for patients. So, AI supports the diagnosis. 
for example, uh, using our AI, the accuracy increased 10%. So we can claim that it is good for not misdiagnosis and improve accuracy. Okay, so just let's, let's walk through a typical example. So LPixel technology works on, for example, imaging from a CT scan. Yeah. And it would analyze the image and what? Would it suggest to the doctor that there's a high chance of this disease? How does it help the doctor? Okay, uh, okay so very simple. AI highlights the candidate of the diseases. It is like the misspelling check. Ah. Using <laughs> word <laughs> something. I like that analogy. <laughs> oh, yeah, very simple. It's just highlight. When you say highlight, does it, for example, does it show an area of yeah, the scan exactly. that needs special attention? Yep, exactly. You know, the detection is the most important part, I think. But uh, the next, we do the classify the diseases and suggest the treatment or something. But for now, I'll focus on detection. So it's not yet a diagnostic tool, it's a diagnosis support tool. Support, right, exactly. That's a subtle but very important mm -hmm. distinction. How many years away are we from having AI being able to actually diagnose? For now, legally, AI cannot diagnose, right? It is just a supporting tool, but little by little, we improve the AI. Probably next step is we change to the, the double-check system. The U.S. are the same. So U.S. and Japan, the government uh, recommend double-check because human misdiagnose sometimes. So we can change human plus human to human plus AI. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it is the next step. So but not yet AI plus AI. No, not yet. <laughs> is the biggest challenge one of technology or is it one of perception? Ah, good question. So, because the technology is very important, but I think the society development is very important. So, we, we show the evidence. Human plus AI is better or same as human plus human. And then, so we do lobby activity with public sector or academic society. I think it takes seven or eight years, but it is very soon, I think when both technology and society get to the point where AI plus AI counts as the second opinion, I, I think that's going to transform medicine completely. Right. And eight years sounds like it's far away, but I mean, it was only, what, five years ago you were on the show. It's not that far away. <laughs> right. Um, Let's talk a bit about your go-to-market. So last time we talked, you were working, you were just starting to work with the manufacturers of CT machines, of MRI scanners. How has that played out? I think that five years ago, so we do joint research business mainly, but from five or six years ago, we had just started product development. Three years ago, we got approval. So our policy is vendor neutral. So investors like Canon Medical and Fujifilm and Olympus, and then also GE and Siemens, not investors, but our policy is vendor neutral. I think it is interesting because, um, well, one of the things I want to talk about is how trust works in Japan, the importance of trust in Japan. And 
how the level of trust enables different kinds of relationships between startups and enterprises and startups and the investors. Oh. You've had research relationships with mm -hmm. these companies for many years. Mm -hmm. right? And last time we talked, you were saying that you weren't that concerned about having a direct relationship with mm -hmm. the doctors, mm -hmm. which as an American founder, I found like shocking and like mm -hmm. kind of made me nervous. Mm -hmm. But has that strategy been successful? Have the partners and the OEMs supported you and helped you get to market without those direct relationships? Mm -hmm. um, good questions. I think that timing is good. So we was the first penguin in this market. And then medical doctors present our AI, uh, good AI is coming. So medical doctor trust medical doctor sales. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So academic presence is very important. So you know, so uh, health uh, insurance coverage is very important. So this fiscal year, government support insurance coverage for AI. It is very limited, but it is good trend. That's very interesting, and that's very new. When you say insurance is paying for AI, what, what, does that, what does that mean? For example, if medical doctor diagnose MRI or CD images, they can get 3,000 yen per scan. And then from this year, using AI, 400 yen. And so until this year, hospitals couldn't even bill for it. Right. But it is very limited, but it is good first step. Well, I think that's an amazing first step, especially since it's like one-tenth the price. Yes, it is a good change. The other thing I really want to talk about is what you and LPixel went through back in 2020. Well, actually, why don't you share what happened? Okay. Uh, so it is very hard things for us. So two and a half years ago, one of our uh, members, our director, um, Basil, about 25 million. So we lost all money and then cannot pay the salary. Yeah, like $25 million and it was gone and not recoverable because he spent it on like FX trading yeah, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that was all the money your company had. Yeah. So what, <laughs> what's going through your mind at this time? Yeah, so it is a tough situation. The first thing is we explain to the investors and very sorry, so why it happens or like that. And then this is a new plan. So that's why we need this kind of resources. Yeah, so very tough communication, few months. What about your employees? Because I think like customers and investors, you can have more rational conversation. How, how did you explain the situation to your staff? Uh, so we do open almost all information to employee after one week. So one week, we need to communicate with investors first, and then we open all information. But uh, we asked them that not share to others. <laughs> yes. So that, that's why we trust them. And then the information uh, didn't go out. So I think that it was... Uh, of course, a difficult decision, but good decision. So you were able to talk about it to your investors first and then to your employees before it got into the media. Right. 
Yeah, it was a risk, of course, but uh, otherwise we can't overcome this challenge. How did the employees react? Yeah, of course that they are shocked. Uh, someone cried. Uh, yeah, few people quit. But the good thing is that key members didn't quit, and almost ninety percent people keep working. Eighty to ninety percent keep working. Wanted to overcome these challenges, so that's a good、uh, thing for us. That is amazing, and your investors were also very supportive in this. Right. Yeah, it is very difficult <laughs> situation.、Uh, of course,、uh, we did a big mistake, and we、uh, communicate with them the quickly, and、uh, everything make them understand. But you pretty quickly raised another round of financing from those investors.、Mm. Yeah, not 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 quickly. <laughs> very about six months. Okay. So about、uh, six months, the news、uh, was out to the public. So at the same time, we finished the fundraising. So it was a good timing. So how did you survive in those six months? Did you have to borrow money or? Yeah, borrow money. Yeah. So when the investors funded it again, was it at the same valuation as before? Was it? No, no, much lower. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> we <laughs> we can we couldn't <laughs> mention about it.、So. Yeah. Yeah, you're not in a strong <laughs> negotiating position. Right.、Uh. So yeah, it was an emergency. It was a down round,、mm, right? Did the money come with any additional changes, new new structures, or did the VCs want to tell you to go in a new direction? Of course, resources very limited, so budget is、uh, less than half. So we changed the business plans, and we closed the Boston office.、So、we do the many products plan, but we cut almost fifty percent. Yeah, so it was a、uh, big. I'm sure that was really hard decisions at the time. But do you think that's been for the better, the the forcing you to focus? We can say yeah, we could focus, but we wanted to expand our business globally. But now we focus on Japan now. But we start that East Asian business. The government support the funding. So yeah, finally yeah, one year ago we start. To expand the business globally, but very small steps. So back on track,、mm -hmm. right? Putting like the investors aside for a minute, how did it change you going through this? I mean, do you look at things differently now, or are are you like less trusting of people, or <laughs> how did it change you as a person to go through something like that? Ah,、uh, great question. Actually. So these nine years, I keep changing. So <laughs> I don't know when I keep changing <laughs> so, timing. But、uh, but big thing is that I think the ninety nine percent we should close our business on that time. But、uh, I'm arrived and the epic sale arrived. Well, I think it's amazing how you have turned things around, move forward, and come out of that. Smaller but stronger. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Let's talk about biotech investing in Japan in general.、Mm -hmm. So there are relatively few biotech startups in Japan, and last time we talked, almost all of them were being funded from like university deep tech venture funds. Has the situation changed in the last five years? Yes. 
I think these days the number of startups for medical or deep tech increased. I think the two times or three times. Five years ago, mainly for IT or web service or like that. B2B SaaS. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, I can see there are so many startups, CEO medical doctor or CEO PhD or like that. Yeah. And that is a really interesting combination. We, we do see more and more medical startups where the co-founders are a medical doctor and a technology person. Right. I mean, as you say, doctors will only buy from other doctors. They don't listen to anyone else. <laughs> right, right. And has the funding situation become easier too? Are there like non-university VCs investing in life sciences? Yeah, so, you know, Web3 or NFT is a big trend, of course, but uh, deep tech is a big trend. So investors looking for the uh, opportunity to invest. I think you've pointed out like the perfect two extremes of investing. <laughs> so like Web 3.0 and NFTs, people are investing and they know they've got to get their money out like next month before the whole thing collapses. But you can make a whole lot of money really quickly. And then you have life sciences investing where you're investing a huge amount of money and it's going to take 10 years mm -hmm. before you see a profit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Last time we talked, you mentioned that you didn't go into graduate school wanting to be a founder. Mm -hmm. It was just something that, that kind of happened. Do you ever miss research? You know, just being able to focus on one problem like really, really deeply and, and publish. Do you ever miss that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. But uh, doing startup is kind of same as research. Really? <laughs> or technology. Even uh, working for university, it is not freedom, right? Professor needed to hire researchers and then they got funding and then do education, right? But uh, if we do startups, so we focus on the technology-based business. So we can say that we can focus on uh, our technology. <laughs> I, I like that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never have complete freedom either way, but more with a startup. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult to make the few hundred uh, people team in the university, but the startup can do. I think that would be a really inspiring message to most deep tech <laughs> startups. Oh, that's awesome. Let's talk a bit more about how doctors and AI can work together. How else do you see AI being used in medicine, either with LPixel technology or more broadly? So we can do a big challenge in uh, developing countries. For example, you know Babylon Health is a startup from England, auto-diagnose. They chat and then AI bot diagnose. But it is not legal in the developed countries. They do the service in Africa. In Africa, not so many medical doctors, and then the people cannot access medical services. So that's better than nothing, right? Yeah. So I think that AI can do the developing countries. So that's why we start the East Asian business. That's a really interesting insight. So the traditional disruption model, the Clayton Christensen innovator's dilemma disruption model, 
you know, it says that the disruption always comes from the low cost mass market that no one else is serving now. And, and I think for this kind of medical tool, yeah, you're right. The sub-Saharan Africa, parts of East Asia, there is a huge, huge need for it. And it does make sense that it would develop and advance there and then be re-imported into the higher value, higher priced markets and displace. Right. So has that changed your plans of going global? Is it going to be, you mentioned before you'd entered the U.S. market mm -hmm. and for financial reasons, you've pulled back. Okay. So are you planning on going back into the U.S. market or the European market? Or is your plan to be the bottom-up disruptor and focus on developing solutions in the developing world? It depends on the business. Okay, so medical air business, we want to expand them to East Asian countries. So we start our joint research with Mahido University, a top medical school in Thailand. We developed AI for tuberculosis screening. So if that AI is success, we expand to Indonesia or Philippines or Cambodia. But if we see the pharma AI services, so you know, almost all pharma companies is gathering the Boston. Technology is no boundary. So it is no reason to stay in Japan. So we want to challenge Boston. Well, listen, Yuki, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. Mm -hmm. That is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, the attitude towards AI, anything at all, to make things better for startups and innovation in Japan. What would you change? Ah, okay. So one thing, I want to change Japanese government vision. You know, so we don't have the vision on uh, how should we do to change the medical. So we should be number one a medical system in the world. So if Japanese government says that we should lead the medical society, we can think what should we do. And then we should develop competitive AI and we should apply it and like that. But what, what would you want them to change? Because I know, I, I know that like, the government wants to be number one as like a goal, but what would you change for them to better support that goal and achieve? It would be like more specific direction or more support for AI or better understanding of AI? Ah, everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah, B number one is uh, do everything. For example, yeah, if you see Korea, Korea government focus on the Samsung or LG or music, K-pop or like that. It's very clear. So just stronger direction and yeah, focus. Yeah, stronger direction. Japanese, not trade words, so... I see what you mean. Yeah, it is a lot of very passionate talk about being number one and being the leader, but not a lot of details and the specific points. Right. So we don't ask them the message. But do you think it's getting better? I mean, there are things like the government sandbox and things like that. So are you seeing things improving? Yeah, that thing is that we ask them military of health or economy. So every time someone asks me, we should have a vision to be number one. 
I mean, maybe, maybe Japan is evolving closer to the American model than the Korean model. Because in, in America, it, it is the startups that kind of lead the government mm -hmm. and, and set the vision. So maybe, maybe Japan's headed that way. We mm, should. Uh... It'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Yuki, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very much. It was nice to meet you again. And we're back. Most startups would not have survived what LPixel went through. But I, I think we're all better off because they did. And you know, medical AI as a whole is so important. And we've had a number of medtech AI startups on Disrupting Japan recently. Medical AI holds a special fascination for the general public. Some of the earliest experimental uses of AI were the medical diagnostic expert systems of the 1970s. It's very clear that, that much more so than self-driving cars or image recognition or image or text generation. I mean, those things are cool. They're impressive. But we all seem to inherently understand how utterly transformative accurate diagnostic AI would be how much it would improve the quality of life for, for everyone on the planet. It would be up there with the invention of antibiotics. But this kind of diagnostic AI is a wickedly hard problem. And not just on the technology side, but on the business side. Move fast and break things is not really an appropriate model for healthcare startups. The healthcare industry is highly regulated and very conservative. And on one level, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But it does make disruptive change very, very difficult. So we tend to see a lot of incremental innovation and innovation at the edges. But things are changing around the world. Medicine has become increasingly complex and increasingly specialized. And much of the world is facing both doctor shortages and aging populations acquiring more health care. Incremental innovation is just not an option. And the industry knows it. In Japan, this has resulted in programs like the Regulatory Sandbox, where startups can request regulatory waivers, and a more aggressive approach to medical startup collaboration in both government and industry. And that's awesome. But that's not how this technology is going to be brought to market. No. And Yuki clearly understands this. As he explained, he's following the classic disruptive innovation blueprint by targeting Southeast Asia. Because this technology will be embraced there first. Because that's where the most pressing needs are. That's where medical AI has the potential to impact millions of people right now. It's only natural that's where people will be the most passionate about adopting and refining this technology. And if you want to disrupt an industry, regardless of where your technology comes from, you want to be close to the customers who need you the most. If you want to talk about medical AI and disruptive innovation, Yuki and I would love to hear from you. So come by Disrupting Japan slash show 199 and let's talk about it.
And if you enjoy Disrupting Japan, share a link online or, you know, just, just tell people about it. In this age of reviews as a service, you'd be amazed how much power an honest recommendation has. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.